Hello, I'm Hugo Monnier, and this is the England Rugby Podcast of O2 Inside Line. And as things hot up here in Japan, we're lifting the lid on some of the guys running out in the white jersey. You might know more about, I guess, passionate singing than anything else. So we're here to put that right. I actually had to miss Bargain Hunt because of um, this camp. So, so that, that, that when people yeah. say miss it, that's not watching, is it? That's actually being on the programme, right? Yeah, that shows you how prepared I was to go to a World Cup. I, I applied to Bargain Hunt about <laughs> three, four months ago. It's time to get to know one of the new faces making up England's back row. It's, of course, England's Lewis Ludlam. Just wanted to go out and enjoy it because I know in mm. the past when, you, when you've played and you've made the occasion too much of what it is I mean it's the biggest game of your life if you make it that you're gonna you're gonna work yourself up and all, all the advice I got midweek from Faz he just said he said the same he, he made his debut probably too much about the occasion he just said it's just a, another game of rugby go, mm. go and enjoy it as well as getting to know Lewis we have a bit of fun with England lock George Cruz what a fun supper that's gonna be David Attenborough Winston Churchill <laughs> right, and then we'll, get, we'll get a comedian in there as well yeah, I don't know like Jimmy like, Carr Jimmy Carr like okay yeah. what's on your menu three courses <laughs> Let's kick it off. Here's what happened when Lewis Ludlam sat down with O2 Inside Line Man in Japan. It's Paul Bunker. Firstly, thank you very much for joining us on the England Rugby Podcast of O2 Inside Line. I really appreciate your time. I know you've got a lot going on. Let's start at the early days. Tell us a little bit about Lewis Ludlam, the young boy. If we were to sort of take a peek back into, what, you're 22, is that right? 23. 23, 23 now, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went all the way back, say, 2000, uh, 1999, 2000, around there. What were you like as a youngster? To be honest, r- rugby was never really in, in my plans pretty um Pretty relaxed youngster, um, like being out on my bike, like my football. Grew up around around boxing and football, really. Um, and it wasn't until I think when England won the World Cup in 2003, my dad was like, "Oh, it will give that give that a crack." And my dad was my football coach, and um, I spent a lot of time down the boxing gym with my dad as well. So mum was like, "Yeah, it's quite good for you to try something that your dad's not so heavily involved in." And um, rugby seemed like the obvious option. I had my, my godfather's son was playing rugby at the time as well. So um, yeah, I went down the down the local rugby club and just absolutely, absolutely loved it from there. Really. And what um, about boxing? Did you have a box? Did you ever yeah, get yeah. I, I used to spar with my dad a, oh, a, right. a fair bit, yeah. which was um, which is interesting. Yeah. So um, yeah, a few disagreements were agreed in the, <laughs> in, in the boxing gym. But um, yeah, that was a awesome, awesome experience being down the gym and watching my dad fight at times as well, oh, which really? was which yeah. was um, yeah. An, an, interesting experience discipline of boxing is massive isn't it you know I mean those guys the sports that I've been across the, the discipline is, is absolutely insane the diet the, the training and stuff like that as well was it ever on the radar for you was your dad sort of leaning that way a no, little bit n- n- never really um, my dad did loads of loads of white collar stuff and it, it's not running in the in the best way in, in all respect to it yeah that was that was never really really a route for me and um, I was getting on well with my football and, and then my rugby sort of started to take off and and soon after that, I realised what, what I wanted to do, really. So. so let's talk a little bit more about your family then, Lewis, because you've got a really interesting family heritage. My dad's um, Palestinian. His mother was, um, yeah, well, she left left Palestine when things sort of went sour there. They fled to the Lebanon and then um, and then to Tottenham in, um, in, yeah. in London. And that's where my dad grew up. And then on the other side, my mum's family, they, they were Windrush, so... Um, my my grandmother was a was a nurse from Ghana and wow. she came over and, and worked here and uh, my granddad the same he was um, building train tracks and bridges so um, yeah incredible I'll go to my nans and there'd be 
all sorts of uh, Lebanese food and, and Arabic food. Then I go to my other nans and there'd be Caribbean food. So yeah, I grew up around um, quite a mix. My dad loves his cooking as well. So it's nice having um, those mixed cultures in, w- in the family. Was there a thought of it in maybe kick on with England that you kind of like the Palestinian? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the Palestinian rugby team is doing really well, actually. Oh, <laughs> no. Uh, so um, <laughs> yeah, no, just just English. Really. Yeah. What, what were you like at school then? Obviously, a lot of the guys we chat to, sport seems to be sort of the route, the route, the route all the way. But were you, were you sort of kind of conscientious at school? Did you apply yourself? Were you quite uh, academic? Not, not particularly. I had teachers which I really, really enjoyed working with. And stuff that I was really interested in, was really interested in my arts and, and my English. But um, when it comes to the more logical side of stuff and maths, histories, I couldn't really, really find the focus um, mm. for it. I think partly that was just thinking about think about playing rugby. I mean, I've realised pretty early on that's, that's what I wanted to do. And... Um, yeah, probably put. It's hard to say now. A little bit too much time and energy because it's because it's paid off. But um, that was my focus as a kid, and yeah, that, that's all I could all I could really really think about at the time. Yeah, you mentioned the arts. I know that you're massively into musicals and stuff. Tell us about your passion for musicals. You're a big fan, aren't you? Yeah, well, I, it was actually my English teacher. We were um, we we were obviously the rugby lads in school, and he sort of said, oh, it'd be good for you, you lads to get involved in the in the school musical." So we turned up to audition took it as a bit of a laugh and then end up most of the rugby squad being in the musical and just being in <laughs> just really enjoying it and then um yeah just enjoy, enjoy watch, watching the musicals as well but i've always always loved love my music i mean i'm a i'm a serial hobbyist my mum says so i go through phases of trying a lot of different things right. so um there was one time i got in a in a lot of trouble with her actually she um i, I always wanted a, a big upright upright piano and it just came to part that the school was offering an old one off and she's i'd asked her and she said absolutely not you're not having this upright piano but obviously by that time it was too late i'd organized a van to pick up the upright piano and she came home from work that day and there was a piano in a in a conservatory so um she was happy about that and then um started playing the ukulele as well and then just recently um tried to pick the piano back up Did and you any grading and piano and stuff? no you no any, never just, just fun? What, no just watching youtube videos trying, oh, really? trying to teach myself Oh, how about when I when I start something after after finish it? So. And how how would you say? I mean, I'm I'm assuming you're not a classical uh, accomplished pianist, but I'm assuming you can play some riffs and some songs. No, and I'm something? not great at piano. Right, not great. Okay. At piano. I, I like playing the ukulele. Okay, um, yeah, I yeah. spent a lot of time doing that. I probably should have spent more time on schoolwork when I was younger. But um, <laughs> yeah, now it's um, just DJing and in the in the piano. I'm trying to trying okay. to pick up again. Uh, do you find um, music a, a quite a release because? Again, people will see physically rugby is a very physical game. It's plain to see. Mentally, people don't see that as well, just how taxing it is. Do you, do you use music as a release for you to take you, take you somewhere yeah, else? Yeah, it takes me down and then takes me up, up before games as well. Um, I mean, I've always, from the moment I wake up, I'm always listening to tunes. Um, whenever, I've, whenever, whenever I've got a moment, I think there's a... It's a song for every situation, as they say. Yeah, music, especially before games, is massive for me. It's the same playlist every time different tunes come on different times when I'm walking off the bus same song walking in change room same song and then talk us through it what's on, what is that playlist um you know, the the boss yeah oh um, what James Brown yeah James yeah, Brown, yeah, the yeah, boss, yeah when I'm when I'm coming off the off the bus I like that um, I like so that I feel good feel confident yeah. um and then walking into change room ain't no stopping us right yeah 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 um and then when I go out it's um it's some a few a few house tunes yeah um, it's quite an old sort of but I mean you're kind of looking at more of the 60s sort of soul funk era 70s and stuff like that as yeah. well is that musical influence from your parents maybe yeah, yeah it's on, always yeah. what my uh what my parents listen to and my 
obviously when I'm in the change room and stuff, it's the Oasis, um, Kaiser Chiefs, and um, yeah, my, my dad dad like listened to it as well. So um, yeah, yeah, picked up a lot of my musical influence from from them. I think. I just want to pick up really quickly. I want to go back to when you mentioned about the the musical with you and all your rugby mates. I mean, I, in my mind, I've got you all in costume, all these guys that are busting out big sort of hench blokes and tea. It Was that what it was like, yeah, like jumping around was, on stage? Yeah, 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 it was. I couldn't tell you what the play was about. It was right. Half it was in old English, but um, we gave it a good crack and I, I enjoyed it. Brilliant. Talk through your early rugby journey then. Ipswich Rugby Club, I know that that was where, where it all sort of really started for you. But maybe you can just talk through those early days. Do you, do you remember the first time you went to your rugby club and turned up there? Because for all of us, there's a moment you look around thinking, what is this all yeah. about? Yeah, you know, I'd never really experienced rugby before. So um, I think the first few sessions were learning the rules. I remember running off the end of the pitch a few times thinking <laughs> thinking it was like American football. You just got to run over the line and that's that's it. But I was, um, I was I used to be fast, used to like like running away from people and... I think that's where the where the love came from. It really, yeah. Ipswich was a was a fantastic start for me to start my career. Really, I mean, it, uh, it wasn't people I'd ever socialised with before because coming from my school, there wasn't anyone else who played rugby or experienced rugby. So, um, yeah, hanging out with those um, sort of kids from from different backgrounds to you was, was awesome as well. And then, obviously, did you change school then? Because you went to, ended up going to a rugby school, didn't you, shortly after that? Yeah, as well, yeah. yeah. So um, before that, we there was some financial issues at Ipswich and we moved over to Colchester Rugby Club just because I think they were they were really struggling at the time and a, f- a fair few boys moved across. And, um, yeah, got got picked up playing for, for Saints there and then for, for, for reasons they, they let me go and... That's when St Joe's College sort of came to me and said, "Oh, we've, we we see something in you. We'd love to w- love to work with you." And then it was about, obviously at the time being dropped. My dad was like, "It's probably the probably the best best decision for you to go and um, enjoy your rugby and crack on and improve as a player." And you go from training once every other week to training three, four times a week with school and then playing at a weekend, sometimes two games at a weekend from club and, and school. So it just seemed like the, the best option for me, really. I don't know if you've heard this quote. This is from uh, Mark Patterson. Lewis was quite honestly the best young lad I've ever coached in any sport throughout my 15 years as director of sport at St. Joseph's College. Uh, his attitude, commitment, effort and desire were first class. Have you ever heard that before? I haven't, no. Pat was massive, massive help for me. I can't express that enough it was probably at a time we couldn't afford some trips some rugby tours some obviously the, the scholarship helped me out a lot where, wherever he could so Pato's focus was how he could push me forward and he was always always pulling strings to make sure I was in the best place possible and yeah. yeah, on and off the pitch, Pat. Well, the hard work pays off, oh, you know. You, you put the hard yeah. work in, and then obviously it's, it's great that that's reciprocated. And also, you've got someone who can see that focus from you. I want to talk about the sort of knockbacks as well, because a lot of people think of England rugby players and just think that their trajectory from you know seven year old kid to playing for England is just like a straight linear sort of journey. But you in particular, you've had you've had quite a few knockbacks, haven't you? With Saints as as a junior, and then. Uh, in more recent times as well, it's been. Uh, can you talk us about how that has been for you and how you've dealt with that? Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's tough at the time, but looking back at it now, I probably wouldn't wouldn't change a thing. As I mentioned, got dropped from the academy when I was younger, and it's probably at a point where I wasn't really enjoying my rugby as much as I should have. I was going out playing, feeling the pressure, thinking about what if I mess up here, what if I do this, 
constantly while while on the pitch and then I think being dropped allowed me to go away and sort of just in, enjoy my rugby again and then in, in recent seasons with Saints it was just competing with four yeah three or four internationals and ex-internationals in in the back row and then injuries probably didn't help me as well and trying to get back to fitness it was it was it was frustrating really but I think it, it sort of makes you realize how much you you really want it when you when you're not training you're not playing at the weekend you're watching other lads win games it's um yeah like I said I wouldn't change it wouldn't change it how tough is that mentally as well because again people don't see you know working with the players regularly I know how tough it is when they're injured and you're trying to achieve something but your body won't let you and stuff but that must be really hard especially as a young guy I imagine if you're 28 and you're something like Haskell you've been around the block you've got a few heavy injuries you can sort of deal with it and but for someone like you at a young age and stuff I mean it must must be very very tough thinking that you're not being allowed to achieve what you want to achieve yeah it was extremely frustrating I think the um the worst thing for me was it came done well at a junior world cup for myself I was happy with my performance and then you come out like that you're like god your career's kicking off like here mm. we go like to expect to play and you sort of read stuff as well it was like oh Ludlam next big thing or whatever or and then you get tweets a couple of years later oh what's happened to Ludlam he was mm. good at a world cup where is he what's he doing now and it's like you're trying to crack away and get yeah, back yeah. fit and sort of make something of yourself and you read that stuff it's like it's sort of it's sort of out of sight almost so um i think i think using that as motivation and fuel to to really kick on was um was so, what helped so me. You, the, the doubters and the haters and all that you use that really as your motivation actually you think you know what i'm going to prove you wrong and oh, you for sure. it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah always always whether that was academy coaches who probably let, let me go and sort of up into a, to a few weeks you know when you, you read people online i oh, What's Ludlam doing there over so and so? What's he? What's he achieved? Only been about for a season. All this. It's like, oh, you know what? I'll I'll show you. Like, yeah, I'll show you what I'm what I'm worth, and you've got to use that as uh, to your advantage. At some stage, despite all the knocks and the knockbacks and stuff, your confidence has grown. The rugby's doing having a good season at Saints, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and you're like, who's that? It's a number I don't recognise, and. It's Eddie or one of his team. Can, can you tell us how that whole process worked and how you ended up on Eddie's radar? Yeah, that was that was a weird, weird situation in itself, really. So, um, Tiamon Harrison was due to to be in the Barbarians game, and his missus actually went into labour that week. So I sort of came in to cover for T and train at the start of the week. I was actually out on a few beers, end of the season, down the <laughs> pub, and um, Phil Dawson was a coach for the, the Barbars. Fitzgerald called me and was like, "Oh, lads, do you fancy?" Coming in for a training session, obviously you grab the opportunity. So I went in at six in the morning, a little bit, a little bit hungover, worse, worse, rugged, and um, just got there. And Eddie, was, Eddie was knocking around, and it was just literally just just training for the week. And he called me in one afternoon. He's like, "Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're fit. We might might call you in." And I thought he said you had a good season, and it was like, "Oh yeah, it's good good to hear from from Eddie." And I thought that was sort of the end of it. And oh yeah, he just wants me fit for the season, so booked a trip to Bali and, and, and went for a couple of weeks and was just training out there and um wasn't too halfway through the trip where got a call um from my agent and just said I think you're gonna be gonna be involved and got the email a couple of hours later so um yeah that that was it really never never really expect to to sort of get the call and yeah it was just by chance that I came in on that barbarians week and don't know what I did but he um 
he liked, liked what he saw and just invited me in. Life's about opportunities, right? You know, kind of little door opens, a little slither of light comes through, and you've got to kind of prize it open and get in there and get stuck in and all those sort of things. But can, can I ask, like, so as a young guy, then let's just go back to when you were eight or nine years old and you started even your head there to cook plans. I want to play for England. I want to go to the very top. The highs and lows of what's happening at Northampton. You're playing rugby at school. And then all of a sudden, Eddie Jones, England head coach, your dream you're, you're almost on that path to making that dream come true. How, how did that feel? How did that feel, that moment? It really, hasn't really sunk in still, I don't, I don't think. Certainly when you're growing up, you set these goals, you say, this is what I want to do. But I, I think there's, there's always a part of it. It's like, oh, it's a long way off. Like, mm. oh, brilliant if it happens, but it's a long shot. And um, I, I put that down to the, the, the sort of people you've you got around you always believe. I mean, I had teachers, coaches and... My dad driving two and a half hours every week to drive me up to train at Northampton, who always believed I could, yeah. I could sort of, sort of get to that point. And um, yeah, when it when it actually comes, it's like you're like you, you're here. This is, <laughs> I mean, I was pretty relaxed pre-game and all week um, before making my debut, and then it wasn't until I sort of walked out. I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm here, and that's when you that's when you look back. And you're like. Yeah, lot lots happened since. Yeah, I mean that debut against. I mean, you had a fantastic game against Wales. I mean, I mean, I'm sure the night before you must have been maybe a bit nervous and a bit anxious about yeah, it. Or? I wasn't. I wasn't oh, really? nervous at all. Not yeah. in the not in the slightest. Um, I was ex- I was excited, but it was. I mean, we, we trained trained so hard in the in the build up to it. I was like, there's no way on earth this is this yeah. is going to go go badly. Like. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's weird. I've just not not an ounce of ounce of nerves, and I think in, in the past I've sort of sort of struggled with nerves and not taking opportunities, and I just just wanted to go out and enjoy it because I know in mm. the past when you when you've played and you've you've made the occasion too much of what it is. I mean, it's a it's a big game, biggest game of your life, but you if you make it that you're gonna you're gonna work yourself up. Yeah, um, and all, all the advice I got midweek was. From Eddie, from Faz, he just said he said the same. He, he made his made his debut probably t- too much about the occasion. He just said it's just a, another game of rugby. Go and mm. go and enjoy it. Did and did that game? I mean, I, I think I saw a stat about the tackles. I mean, you you'll know the stats from that. I think it's pr- touching thirty. It was around there or something crazy. Like I don't think you missed a single tackle. Yeah. I mean, for a flanker, when you walk off that pitch, that was that the dream. Were you just thinking, like, you know, did you think yourself, yeah, I've probably done as well as I could do there. But it was an audition. I think I've got the part. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. You always <laughs> want to do more. I wanted to get my hands on the ball a little bit more. I wanted more turnovers. I wanted to get up in the lineout. So I was. I was thinking about what I could have done more because obviously selection was selection mm. was the next day, so that's that's all I really was was thinking about post game really. So yeah. Um, yeah, but it was um, it was a really really enjoyable experience, a pr- proud moment. Um, I think the, the best thing for me was having all my family in the in the changing room afterwards, watching me get mm. my get my cap and all the work they've put into me and, and and the support they've given me it was it was nice to see them the big payback right yeah, is it yeah, the big absolutely. payback yeah, for everyone no, it's payback for, for Lewis Ludlam but it's payback when you look at that army of people that have helped you on that journey you're there it's almost like a massive group hug for every, all of them oh, as well absolutely and the, and the messages I was getting from friends and people to play, people I played with before and old coaches it was just um, it was incredible uh, and there's a great story many people won't have heard about your primary school teacher as well that you made a promise to her maybe you can just re- relay that story to us yeah well uh, so I probably wasn't the, the best student in um, primary school not as focused as I could have been and 
can't remember what I did, but probably got myself into a little bit of trouble. I was just sort of like tongue in cheek comment. I said, oh, yeah, "All right, miss, like when I play for England, I'll um, I'll get I'll get you some tickets." The first one, and she just sort of sort of held me to that afterwards. And my mum reminded me of it when I was when I was growing up. So um, yeah, just happy we we managed to to track her down pre-game and and, and get her along. More from Lewis soon, but first, Paul's been chatting to England lot George Cruz about everyone's favourite topic, food. It's a major part of every rugby player's life, but when you're at the top of your game, there are some things that are definitely off the menu. So up next, George sets up his perfect dinner party. So we're doing our dream dinner feature with George yeah. Cruz. So George, we want you to create the ultimate dream dinner, the guests, the food, the ambiance. First of all, where would it be location for our dream dinner or your dream dinner? I think it would be kind of like Hawaii or something like that, you know. So crystal clear beach, a bit of water involved, maybe some, some dolphins playing around in the background, uh, yeah. a couple of whales. Maybe like on stilts, you know? Yeah, like, like a bamboo house like sort of thing. bamboo house, yeah. yeah, yeah I think okay. that, Nice little bit of a breeze, but still warm. Feeling that. Set Feeling the scene. That. Three guests. Who's going to be invited? Anyone. And from any generation, dead or alive, you can whoever you like. I'll just take my family. Really? <laughs> Which three? <laughs> yeah, one of them's missing out. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, I'd have David Attenborough there because I think yeah. he's just got. He's got some good stories. And then I maybe have some, like, maybe like a, an old president, maybe, who could also... I just want people with stories, you know, so you can yeah. sit there and eat your food and not have to talk, but listen. I don't know, Winston Churchill. Or someone, someone, okay. who's, someone who's done something, who's, who's um, you know, been involved in a, an exciting period of, of time. What, what a fun supper that's going to be. David Attenborough, Winston <laughs> Churchill. Right, and then we'll get, we'll get a comedian in there as well. Yeah, I don't know. Stick, stick in there. Jimmy like, Carr. Jimmy Carr. Like okay, there. Um, and what's on your menu? Three courses. <laughs> <That'd be weird. laughs> I don't know if they all get along. Do you yeah. um, what's on your menu? You can have whatever you like. It doesn't have to all be healthy. We're going to cut you some slack. So you can yeah. have your starter main. And I've, got, I've, got, I've got an issue. I, I enjoy sharing like, food. Okay. So I'm more of a tapas man. Okay. So you get a lot of food and then share it. Having been in camp, I understand that's, that's ruffled a few feathers. People don't enjoy sharing food. But, you know, I, I enjoy it. So I'd go kind of a tapas, like a seafood tapas. That's lots like, of prawns, lots of calamari prawns, count, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that exactly. sort of stuff. And maybe a bit of a surf and turf vibe. Oh, Celebrity chef? And are you into a celebrity chef? So is it someone you'd like to come along and yeah. prepare all this food? Yeah, Tom Carriage, 100%. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Get him in there. He's, he's up to Twickenham a lot. You know, he works at Twickenham. Yeah, I've, I've seen him up there, but he's... Um, I went to his place in... Was it Marlow? Yeah. Uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Very, very good chef. Unbelievable. Uh, music, what, what's we got the sounds on. Um, uh, what are we going to have on there? I'd have... I'd have flown the Lumineers over. Okay. Uh, and they can just be... Live set, just you know, like an acoustic. Set, an acoustic set, yeah. yeah. Just nice and mellow. Something for Attenborough's taste, you know. And, and Hawaii, I imagine something with the ukulele, just something nice and... That's and bling, the bling, spin bling. they could do. Yeah. Board games, I mean, you into that sort of thing? Would you, I yeah, mean, I we're going to... Oh, yeah? It's a controversial one. I don't know many have heard of it, but it's called Catan, Settlers of Catan. And it's it's, it's a massive family competition. Okay. Um, of which I'm, I'm wiping the table with them all. Especially Henry, my brother. What sort of game is Terrible. is that? Is it like a? It's not like a battles and stuff like that, is it? It's like, it's like a like mixture risk. of Risk and Monopoly. Okay. It's something that I think 
Winston would be all over. Uh, and finally, final question, early bird. I mean, are you the sort of guy at sort of 10.30, time for everyone to go, or are you the guy who's kind of, let's keep this party going, let's get the gin and tonic out and keep going to the early hours? I'm not afraid of that. We can we can give that a go if you... Yeah, keep if, going. I understand we've got two old people yeah. around the table, but... You and Jimmy Carr could rip it up until yeah, like about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and then go for a surf, maybe. Maybe, yeah, yeah. quite possibly. Brilliant. <laughs> Cheers, guys. A really interesting mix there from George, but more now from O2 Inside Online's Paul Bunker in camp with Lewis Ludlam. Hi, I'm Tom Curry, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Just to finish on off about uh, Japan and stuff, can you tell us what the last 12 months has been like? My goal at the start of the season was was playing for, for another contract. I wanted to be at Saints at the end of the season. And if I picked up a few games in the season and showed Chris Boyd what I could do, hopefully I was in with a shot of, of, of being re-signed. Um, it was almost sort of thinking about options post-rugby and it was sort of like, yeah, you've got one more year left in your contract, give it one last shot if a contract doesn't arise then you then you, you might have to explore other options so um, in a way that sort of helped me it's like oh, one last shot you got nothing to lose mm. just crack on and then to find myself going to a World Cup a year, a year later is just bizarre <laughs> if you would have told me this last year I would have told you you're crazy so um, yeah to be in this position is um it's incredible. And what would you have done? Like you say, other options. Like if the if you'd come to in the line and Chris had just said, "Look, you work so hard, but I'm not sure this is right for you at this club." Maybe looked at another club. Is there a plan? Did Lewis Ludlam ever have a plan B? Not particularly. Not particularly. <laughs> that that's half half the reason I started the DJ and stuff. So like, I'll, I'll buy myself some decks. So I'll go travelling, jet off, and mm. hopefully find a few gigs. Like just backpack it and. And just go at it, see see what yeah. happens, and just lucky it's meant to be, it, mate. Yeah, it's meant lucky to be. It's, meant, well, out, and yeah. it's a great story, you know. For everyone, you know, there's a lot of people that they think that you know a lot of England players. It's almost like a given right, and they're just on this pathway. But the hard work of just keeping them persistent. Uh, talk about back to the DJ and the music. Tell us about Lewis away from rugby as well, because you know rugby's a huge part of your life. But you know life goes on around it. Talk us about the food you're into, what you like to do to chill out and relax. Um, obviously, a DJ is massive for me at the moment. Um, mm. Helps me to switch off, and then had Hasks there last with me, who, who's giving me a hand of it as well. And a few other lads, Lufa Burrell, Charlie Davies, are in there DJing stuff. So um, yeah, they sort of pass pass on their knowledge to me, and then yeah, just just re- relaxing away from rugby. I think that um, that really helps me. Um, what sort of music are you DJing? Is it kind of mostly house, house, or disco? Yeah, um, I love disco. What a nice old seventy, proper seventies sort of no, disco, like more modern new, sort of yeah, kind new of, school yeah. disco. Okay, new school, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what are you doing? Do you, do you play at clubs? And is it mostly around mates around your house? Have you got like pioneers set up at home, or how does it work? Yeah, I've got, I've got the pioneers set up at home, but never never outside of home just yet. Really? Just, yeah, just cracking on with it. Hopefully one day I'll um, oh, all day I'll long give it a crack. Yeah, and then. And then my painting as well got into painting a little bit end okay. of um, end of last year. So um, yeah, and what you painted what like on watercolour? Yeah, oils. Well, a canvas acrylic. And what do you do? Like portraits, landscapes? Yeah, yeah I like I like um, skulls. So okay. I like drawing, I like painting skulls and a few of them. Yeah, um, 
Yes, and sold a couple off a charity, which has been oh, good. So, yeah. Brilliant. Oh, I'd like, like to see some of that as well. And what about uh, other sports? Do you kind of you follow other sports? Are you kind of uh, out and out sports? Not someone like Carl Sinclair. I mean, he literally watches he watches snooker, football, darts, cricket. He watches everything. What, what are you like in other sports? Just football and football and boxing, really. really? Um, yeah, I'm a massive massive Spurs fan. We're season ticket holders growing up. So um, just head down there most weekends. Held on to that. But um, yeah, sports are... I don't enjoy watching as as much okay. as I uh, just enjoy or enjoy playing it. When I'm watching rugby games, you know, I'd rather be playing than yeah. sitting there sitting there watching it. And same with same with football. But um, yeah, really really love watching my watching my boxing. Sit down with my dad and watch it. So and you're a bit of a bargain hunter as well. There's a story about bargain hunting there. Yeah, there? I actually had to miss bargain hunt because of um, this camp. So, so that, that that when people yeah. say miss it, that's not watching, is it? That's actually being on the program, right? Yeah, that shows you how prepared I was. I applied to bargain hunt about <laughs> three four months ago. Yeah, got the call back, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're me and uh, Alex Mitchell from the club. Yeah, we're, we're keen to have you on. Um, can you make this date?" And I was like. Oh, I can't. I'm in, um, going going into uh, to camp, but um, yeah, hopefully they said they'll give us a call back when the next one comes around. And we'll... done any dainty deals? Anything that so far? Any any steals and deals that you can uh, talk about? I've been to a couple of police auctions. Is that stuff that's reclaimed from yeah, feet, yeah, from yeah. criminals and yes. stuff? And then you, so what, um, what are you bidding on? Oh, it's just stupid stuff. So like, just to get like a feel of a police auction, I've got. Um, Couple uh, wall mounts like for TVs. Okay. A uh, couple Hoovers. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> yeah. And then you sold them on, made a bit of profit. Uh, no, I've actually got the Hoovers in the back of my car still, <laughs> which I haven't managed to do anything with. And the TV brackets, I've used one, and the other one came with missing parts. So that's okay, straight in the bin. So, yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, so these police auctions are really good, as you can <laughs> as you can tell. Yeah, I, I maybe you have to rethink that whole business of buying and selling stuff because the idea is to sort of sell it on and yeah. try and make Get a little bit of profit, but if you but you got, I mean, in fairness, you've been quite busy, haven't you? Over yeah, the last I've, I've cracked of... the first part, but I'll, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll think about when I get back. Lewis, we've got some quick fire questions for you. Ten questions here. We want you to ask them as quickly as you can, but uh, you yeah, know, one sentence answers. Here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. If you could only eat one meal ever again, what would it be and why? Pizza. What's I love it? a pizza post match. A pepperoni with some jalapenos on. Yeah. Nice. What's your favourite place on earth? Oh, it's a tough one. I'd say Bali or Vietnam. Been the last couple of years and absolutely love it. Not Ipswich? Ipswich uh, is nice. Yeah. Uh, what are you scared of? Uh, spaghetti bolognese. I I can't stand spaghetti bolognese. I can't look at it. It gives me goosebumps thinking about it. I don't mind lasagna, <laughs> but spaghetti bolognese just freaks me. What's the silliest thing you've ever bought? Oh, God. I brought all sorts. Um, it's probably these police auction hoovers. It's got to be. <laughs> didn't even need a hoover. Who makes you laugh for the England team? Marla's funny, and uh, Jamie George is funny as well. Low-key yeah. funny, yeah. Tell us something we don't know about you. I used to love English literature. I used to love it. Oh, really? Yeah. What sort of stuff? Shakespeare? Um, T.S. Eliot. Uh, who would you be most starstruck by if you met them in real life? I reckon now Mike Tyson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve, and is anyone in the England camp guilty of it? No, not really. I'll tell you what has really annoyed me. Is the, you know when they don't have fitted sheets? So they're just a, it's just a plain sheet just, that's folded onto the bed. It's like a sandwich of sheets. Yeah. Sheet, duvet, sheet. And it's not, no buttons clipped in or that. So really, when you yeah. roll around at night, you're waking up and everything's just all yeah, over yeah, the place. That's, that's, that's not right, yeah, that is it? That's, me, yeah. I get that. Who or what always cheers you up? Ellis Gaines cheers me up. Yeah, yeah. I had a few, um, a few dark times these, uh, in these camps where you have a few tough sessions and Genji always uh, managed to get me back up. Can you describe your dancing 
style in three words? In the corner. <laughs> what hiding is that? Yeah, in yeah. the corner. Don't dance. <laughs> Concealed. Yeah. yeah. And what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? Um, relax and enjoy it. In terms of rugby, yeah, relax and enjoy it. Just mm. let go and um, don't make uh, don't make the occasion get the better of you. Well, Lewis, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Honestly, very insightful. There's some great bits there. I wish you all the very best for what's coming up in Japan. Just uh, thank you very much, thank mate. You. Cheers. Cheers. So there you have it, the inside line on Lewis Ludlam. And a big thank you to Lewis for such a great interview, as well as England's George Cruz for making us all that much more hungry. And don't forget, we've got some previous great interviews with some of our guys making a big impression out here for England. To have a listen back through our archive, just search the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line on Acast, iTunes, or wherever you get your pods from. The England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line will be back next week. So from me and from the team, it's a goodbye for now.